Hello, everybody. Today is Wednesday, February 1st, and this is The Daily Thread. Woke up to some snow today. I, I was worried. Yeah, today is your Happy shot. birthday oh, to you. Stop it. This is the day. I think we went over this on January 11th when it was your English birthday. But this is the 10th of Shvat. This is a very uh, auspicious, illustrious, auspicious day. Not because it's my birthday, but because uh, of the no, rabbi. In, in part because of your Ooh. birthday. It's also my father's birthday. Oh. Nissen Gordon. Uh, uh, my father's 105th birthday. Mm. Okay, he was born in another Belarus. 15, he probably has another 15, another 15 years in him. He was born in Belarus in uh, 1918. And, uh, came to Isn't that the year that the Red Sox won the World Series? I don't know. Maybe. Nothing you, weren't, you, weren't al- you weren't alive then. Uh, if you want me to be, uh, listen, I, I I saw my father as being here always and eternal. Yes. Okay. I got the eternal part wrong. But yeah. in a way, you know, he's always in my heart. So uh, I don't feel that, uh, I'm, of course, missing him uh, physically, but it's been 33 years. So I'm not going to say I got used to it, but. He's still very much uh, in my heart, um, uh, even though today's his 105th birthday. Um, you know, my father was uh, a redhead, kind of. Kind know, of. Kind of redhead. He had a lot of freckles on his arms and legs, but otherwise he didn't have any on his <laughs> face. <coughs> Am I allowed to say that? Like Joe Biden. Joe Biden has a lot of freckles on his know, arms and legs. I don't know that. I don't know that. The but hair he, on Joe's uh, legs but, but stand uh, up. On, on, on his left arm. Yeah. On his left arm, on his forearm, around here. If you're looking here, yeah, he had like a like a little red dot, like a like a it was like a blood corpuscle, red know? dot. And I have the same thing just above my knee. Really, you know, and so I don't have that. When I, <laughs> yet when I when I look down, isn't that when I look down at my knee, I see that red dot. I always think of the red dot on my father's arm. Oh, so and I see passed it, down and, from generation. And, always, and, and it's just it's just something that I don't know. If, I don't know if I I don't think I needed that kind of. Uh, instructions or, or simonum uh, to think about him um, because I do think about him uh, every day and my mother as well in some fashion. But uh, that red dot, I don't know where it comes from, but that uh, it uh, accentuates the, the, the memory. Anyway, uh, today's also the the day in 1950 that the Friedrich Rebbe, Schneerson, passed away. And a year later, in 1951, mm-hmm. Uh, the Lubavitcher Rebbe uh, assumed the leadership. He it was, it was a year later. Yeah, he didn't want. He didn't want to leave. He did not want to be Rebbe. He did not want to. As a matter of fact, uh, in Lubavitch uh, history, he he put on a uh, he took off his long his long kapata and he put on a short jacket because he wanted to, they wanted to, Hasidim wanted him to be a Rebbe. He said, "You want a Rebbe that." Has a, wears a short jacket. That's so interesting, you know. But anyway, uh, so his, you, his first mima. That he issued, of course, very famous Basila, Basila Ghani, um, come into the garden, talking about, you know, the Garden of Eden, Hashem's garden, and um, he said amongst his first words, um, I could give, give you a picture of that if you want to post it on the thing on your uh, on the video, uh, a picture uh, where he said that there's three great loves in the world that a Jew has to be conscious of at all time: love of Hashem, love of Torah. And the love of uh, other Jews, and if if you could check that off your list every single day, you're going to be okay. Okay, absolutely. I, I didn't realize that there was a full year that there yeah. was no Rebbe. Well, that's why Yitzvot, uh, one Yitzvot is uh, is marked as the yard site of the Friedrich Rebbe, the previous Rebbe, right. the Rayats, as he's known, 
and the year later uh, is marked as the day of the uh, Rebbe Menachem Mendel Schneerson assumed the leadership of Chabad. So what was what was going on in, I guess, in Chabad and Crown Heights during that year of, of no Rebbe? I don't know. I wasn't born yet. Oh, I, I thought uh, you were. I, you thought I was a teenager in 1951? I wasn't. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, and actually, if I was a teenager, I think I'm doing okay, you know? Yeah. I'm looking pretty good for a teenager in 1951, but I wasn't. Oh, I think you're looking pretty good I regardless. Oh, <laughs> Thank you very much. I think we could end the show right now. No? Yeah. Okay. So thanks very much for joining us. <laughs> uh, but um, do you, do you know? Like, I mean, do you know, know what was, what was know, going on know. then uh, historically? Listen, like, I can't. It, oh, I could tell you during the years that there was a rebel, how how different it was, and it's astounding sometimes to me when you think about Chabad today. Uh, you know, all these years later, twenty. I don't know what it is. Ninety. The rebel died ninety four. Twenty. 24 years later? What no, no. Abba. 28, 29 years later. No, yeah, 29. Yeah, 28, well, it's going to be 29. Yeah. So it's I get 20, 24. What math was that? No, it's 28 years. It, it was from the regions. 28 <laughs> uh, was left over from the trigonometry region. Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, 24 years, 20, what did I say? 28 years. 28 yeah. Years, 28 years later, there are shluchim who go out as a shliach of the Rebbe who never saw the Rebbe. Well, yeah, now that's they were, happening. Either they were little boys at the time, but they were never, they weren't born yet. But they're out there in the, in the, in the Indian Ocean. Mauritius. Or, or in, or in, or in Montana. Uh, Bozeman. Uh, Bozeman. Chaim Shol's a little bit. Chaim Shol is uh, 40 or 41. So uh, he, he remembers the Rebbe. But uh, he, and he went to, uh, he, he's met the Rebbe and got dollars from the Rebbe when he used to stand there on, on Sunday for seven or eight hours. How old is the Rebbe when the Rebbe took, took leadership? Well, he was born in 1902, so you tell me. So he, he took, took over a, leadership in 1951, so, so he was almost 50 years old. He was 49 years old. And you know, it's never easy getting a new job at, at the age of 50. Met, you, uh, you know what? I, I think being a Rebbe is different, and um, I'm sure I mentioned in some context over the last few months, uh, Psychology Today once did a survey of what type of profession allows a, peop, a person to have longevity to live a long life. You know what they found? They found two professions, a conductor of a philharmonic orchestra and a Hasidic Rebbe. <laughs> they lived the longest. Is that, is that a real study? Yeah, it's a real study in psychology today because those two jobs, you are empowered. You know what it means to, to lead a philharmonic orchestra of 100 people playing musical instruments or to be uh, for bringing in front of three or four or five or 6,000 Hasidim? It empowers you. It, it breathes life into you. It gives you life and it gives you exuberance and it gives you years, apparently. 100%. Do you, um, do you have any personal stories with, with the Rebbe? Um, that you care to share? Do I have any personal stories? Uh, of, co of course, I, I was there many times. I mean, I have a lot of stories. Uh, I have a lot of stories. Um. One that stands <laughs> out the most to you. Well, you know, when I was, uh, I remember one, I, I told this one at the, uh, when I was in the Tzemach Tzedek Shul on my father's yard site uh, this year, a few weeks ago over Hanukkah. Uh, I've told the story in the past too, but people don't, don't remember it, so I always tell it to them, and they're always uh, um, left aghast. But I was about five years old, and um, it was Erev Yom Kippur, and um, I was hanging around with my grandfather, Yochanan Gordon. Uh, I guess I don't know. My father must have gone to the mikvah or something, on or on Erev Yom Kippur. He was somewhere, but believe it or not, uh, Yochanan Gordon, who was a guy by in seven seventy, uh, I guess did babysit sometimes. Mm. So I was just... Was your grandfather? 
I remember he was holding my hand and he led me into the Rebbe's room and uh, was standing on the side of the, of the room and, and you know, there's a custom to give uh, Malkus on, on Erev Yom Kippur and he gave the Rebbe Malkus. He took like a, I think it was like a leather strap. You know, it's very ceremonial. Another kind of Malkus you read about in the Gemara. Right. Where they try to <laughs> knock the guy out. It, was, it wasn't that kind of thing. But I remember the Rebbe being um, uh, hunched over his stender and uh, my grandfather, Rabbi Yochanan, um, tapping him in different parts of his back, his shoulders, the back, and, and so on and so forth. So that's a pretty outstanding memory to have yeah. as, a, as a five-year-old. And of course, you know, I went for dollars uh, many times. Um, I dived in 770 many, many times, saw him walk in and walk out. I went there with my father before my bar mitzvah. And I went there with Ima before we got married. You know, so... Um, yeah, it'd be helpful if you would tell me like 30 seconds before we want to do this program <laughs> what you want to talk about so I can think about it a little bit. But uh, that's what comes to mind for now. That's a, that's that's totally fine. And again, today's a special day. It's Yitzvah. I don't know. Is it a Kapata day? I don't know if it's a Kapata day. It might be. I don't think so. No? No. You don't think so? You're not wearing a Kapata. I'm not, which is... You didn't check. Might I, be I problematic. Don't I don't think Yochanan's not wearing his Kapata either. There's got to be a kapatadeh.com. <laughs> I'm sure I'm going to get a lot of feedback on a chat that I'm on. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if it's a Kabbat today. Well, listen, Chabad is going strong. Uh, the, the the words of the Rebbe, you know, are more alive today than ever. Uh, his shluchim are out in the world. And, and um, you know, I had, uh, of course, Rabbi Elkanah Shmarkin on my Meaningful People podcast. And just, what did I say? I don't know. So you said Yochanan. No, I said Elkanah. Oh, okay. <laughs> Elkanah on meaningful people, and we discussed, you know, perpetuating the Rebbe's legacy and and. Uh, you well, know. let me put it this way: the Rebbe passed away in 1994. Okay, the prognostication at the time was that Chabad is finished. That without the Rebbe, it's going to peter out. It'll take a few years, but it's going to dissolve. It's going to, um, you know, just disappear into history. I don't think anyone is ever more wrong. Uh, whoever prognosticated mm. that, I don't think anybody was more wrong than who. That. Who did prognosticate that? I don't know. Social scientists, sociologists, critics, uh, people that really have no say in anything like this really uh, happening. They anticipated it. The Rebbe had very strong leadership, very loyal, dedicated chassidim, and um, without the leadership, and look, it's uh, twenty-eight years later, and. Without a the heir apparent, without a, a rebbe to assume his role, you know, there 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 isn't one. There isn't anyone that qualifies for the job. Now, for those who maybe aren't so familiar with, with Chabad, they might say, "Well, why isn't there uh, an eighth rebbe of of Lubavitch? How come?" You asking me, or you can have an answer? No, I'm asking you. Uh, I don't know. I don't think there's anybody that uh, is it. it well, was there only supposed to be the seven rebbe rebbes? The, listen. Uh, the Friedrich Rebbe had three daughters. He had no sons. Right, and, and the Rebbe had no. The Rebbe what? had no children. What? And the Rebbe had no children. The Rebbe had no children. So, if the are you saying if the Rebbe did have children, there would be another Rebbe? But we're you know I'll tell you what the White House spokesperson says. Uh, I'm she, very curious how this connects. She's trying to wiggle out of a question. She says, "I'm not going to get involved in hypotheticals." <laughs> <laughs> well, what are you asking me? I don't know. I I'm don't. Very know. curious about the, that. The dynamic might have been different. I don't know. Very interesting. Know, let let the experts who have a little bit more knowledge, a little bit of depth, a little bit more uh, knowledgeable of the history and yeah. the mechanics of, of Chabad, let them answer that. I okay. Uh, so here's a story of the Yeshiva world, which is a very interesting one. It says, uh, 
A cheeseburger with real cheese. Israeli man files a lawsuit against Burger King in Israel. A firm Israeli man filed a lawsuit against Burger King for a misleading sign that caused him to eat a non-kosher meal. Ynet reported. The incident occurred at the Burger King branch in Azrieli Hod Hasharon Mall. According to, the pl- Aviv, yeah. according to the plaintiff, after he saw that the fast food store had a sign boasting a heksher, he bought a cheeseburger that he thought was made with vegan cheese. Uh-huh. Uh, he his meal tasted so good that he asked the staff how the cheese tasted so genuine yeah. and was shocked and distressed <laughs> when they responded that the cheese was actually yeah. cheese. It was dairy. Yeah. The staff then informed him that the branch was no longer kosher. In response, Burger King said that a decision was made in 2021 to turn the branch into a non-kosher one. And the company asked the mall to remove the kosher c- certificates. The chain claims that the mall management later informed them that they removed the signs, but apparently they didn't remove all of them. So this, this yid, had a cheeseburger. I think the uh, slogan for Burger King is uh, have it your way, right? Have it your way. I think that's Burger King, right? Whopper, 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 whopper. No, the Burger Chicken. King is a whopper. I don't know, but... You know, it could very well be the meat is kosher. I don't know. But I, ah, but, but there's cheese and meat. No, no, that's a separate problem. But the meat might be kosher. Do you, do you think he has grounds to win a lawsuit? Probably against uh, the mall. I don't know. He has to prove that. What was the damage? Are you kidding me? The damage is un- unquantifiable. All right, so but you have to quantify it in court if you want. <laughs> you you want can't to have, quantify. You want to, how do you quantify you the damages? It's, it's a spiritual damage. It's very hard. So you have to take them to a din Torah then if you want to prove a spiritual. I don't think there's a court in the world that can uh, adjudicate um, uh, spirit damages for spiritual uh, for a spiritual injury. <laughs> I was injured spiritually. I Are you mean, kidding me? Well, uh, give me a case where someone was injured spiritually. Uh, I could probably give an example of a Muslim case where. <clears throat> I don't know. Spiritually injured. I don't think. I don't think. It, uh, I don't think a second. Yes, court. I, could t- I could tell you. Um, a woman forced to remove her hijab. Well, that's a physical thing. It's not know? physical. That's. But what do you mean physical? She didn't, she didn't have to eat the hijab. <laughs> she either puts it on her head or she takes it off her head. I know, but ha- forcing to remove it. Let's what say. Kind of, what kind of damages did she get from the court? I don't, I don't know. Probably. Hijab? I don't think so. I don't, I don't think so. You don't think so? Uh, listen, they could tell not that she could wear a hijab. Listen, there's been court cases where people in the police department in New York or in the military that were Jewish, they wanted to keep beards, wanted to keep payas, and there was a time when well, it was a time when it was a time when you weren't allowed to. But there's a matter of religious freedom. Uh, but this is where uh, something physical. You hear that horn out there? It doesn't bother you. If I move my chair, it bothers you. <laughs> you I don't think the mic picked outside. that. I don't think the mic picked that up. <laughs> going. Guys, his horn outside like a madman. It's okay. It's don't okay. Don't flinch. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, so that's how it is in, uh, in Central Avenue in Cedarhurst, New York, the headquarters of of the Daily Thread and the Meaningful Minute Empire. Yeah. So where were we? Oh, there's a there's a point where spiritual and and material crisscross. I guess it com- when it comes to a beard, it could be. When it comes, okay, listen, you know what? The the regulations in the military wasn't that you're not allowed to have a beard because you might be, uh, if you're Jewish, let's say, you might be a religious person. No, the regulation was they don't want to have any hair on your face, you know? Uh, and But you want a beard for religious reasons. That has nothing to do with the regulations that they want to have a clean-shaven person. You know, that used to be a rule in the New you York Yankees. Yankees were not allowed to have any facial hair. I no think it's still, it's, no beard. it's still a rule. And it was even for a while, oh, if I remember still, correctly. It still applies. You know, can, no one Yankees could have facial hair? No. Well, if they, anybody wanted to challenge in court, they would they would win. No one, no one has a mustache on the Yankees or a beard? Are you thinking, what, you're going through the whole roster? What are you doing? Yeah, I'm going through the Rolodex in my head. Okay, those guys with beards. Who? Professional. Name one. On, I know about the Yankees. 
I'm talking about the Yankees. It's the Yankee rule. I don't know. I don't know. But also, there was a there was a time when they weren't that the hair wasn't allowed to be below their collar in the back either. So that I don't think is. And a I thing. think they. I think George Steinbrenner had a problem with Don Mattingly once and ordered him to get a haircut. It was like being in yeshiva, being on the Yankees. Uh, you know how <laughs> yesterday we, um, yesterday we started off our episode by saying it's a fifty-year record that that was made about snow. About snow. Well, guess what? It snowed this morning a little bit. Central Park recorded the first measurable snowfall of the season this morning with nearly half an inch as of 5.30 a.m. This is the first measurable snowfall for the season since record uh, since record keeping began in 1969. We mushed. We broke the curse. But it's all we gone. broke the record. It's all gone now. We just spoke about this yesterday, though, and, and with the day we brought it up, it's like, you know, Mike Francesa, the radio host, the former radio host, yeah, he's guy. known, the sportscaster, he's known that if he says something, the opposite happens. Really? So if he says, you know what, I think the Jets are going to go undefeated this season, then that means the Jets are going to lose every single game this season. So, well, there, well, my father used to be very reluctant to take his car to a car wash. Why? Because he said as soon as he takes his car to a car wash, it's going to rain. You know, and that'll make the car wash unnecessary. Yeah. So he very, very reluctantly, the car had to be really, really dirty on the outside. Yeah. Uh, to, for take it to a car wash. Couple so of news stories. Um, Nikki Haley is running for president. Oh, she didn't say so yet. They well, she's officially him. announcing on February 15th that the Post That's and the, the Courier are, are saying. Uh, so Nikki Haley's running for president. So any, uh, any, uh, yeah, that's. That's news. I think um, we'll hear a lot of people are running for president and all likelihood she's not going to be the nominee. I don't know. Listen, there's nothing wrong with running for president. Do you uh, but I think you should run for president, maybe. When Trump, Make a for, bid? when Trump ran for president during those first debates, if you remember correctly, if you, if you remember uh, accurately, uh, Mike Huckabee was on the stage, uh, Bush was on the stage, Ben Carson was on the stage. The low energy Jeb? Uh, there was a lot of there was a, uh, Marco Rubio, small there hand were, Marco. There, there was like 17, 18 people in the in the early debates. Yeah, and then the primaries, you know, chopped them off one at a time. Hundred percent. You know, Hamaba Hareza Meshubach. The more there are, the better off we are in terms Absolutely. of in terms of choosing. Speaking of the more they are, it seems like there's more hidden documents uh, by Joe Biden. The FBI is searching President Biden Delaware Beach House amid ongoing classified document investigation. Biden's lawyer says the search was planned. So they're searching everywhere for classified documents. And, and they're finding it. every place they look, they're finding them. And then what? Let's the, take your rule. And the real, then what? The, okay, the real story is what's in those classified documents. And the uh, Department of Justice does not want to tell the, the Senate committee overseeing, it's supposed to do oversight yeah. over over uh, matters like this. They don't want to reveal what's in those documents. Well, what's in it that could be... I don't know. What's in the, what's in the document? Any documents could be that we have a uh, nuclear weapon point at, pointed at Moscow. You know, and uh, it could be fired and hit uh, the Kremlin, let's say, for example, in uh, 90 seconds. Why would he bring it home? What? Why would he bring it home to Delaware? Well, it, he, first of all, it has value to it. It's a classified document. Okay. A lot of these documents, from, he was in the government for 50 years, you have to understand. He was a senator. Yeah, that's how he made his billions and of dollars, and, and Joe Biden, no? He was vice president for eight years uh, to Obama. Yeah. And, and his son, who uh, has a criminal record, and has a history of being a drug addict, uh, was had access to that house, and that was his home address. Yeah, that's where he got his bills. That's where he. Uh, that's where his credit card bills came. Yeah, from. we're doing some rapid fire news stories today. The next story is that Tom Brady is retiring, uh, so he is done. Um, I have a feeling after the the last playoff game. So that that's he, that's that. You know. So he's going to be again. Uh, he's retiring. He's going to become uh, uh, or or he might end up on the Jets. Uh. 
Maybe as a coach, <laughs> like no, the, you know the Jets and the Jets and the Mets. They specialize in getting uh, players after they washed uh, out. Yeah, after ninety percent of their talent is gone. I hear you because you know what? It sells tickets. People will be excited about it. They're gonna fill up a stadium for a couple of weeks for a couple of games. There is another story that I think is is interesting, and we can sort of chime in, right or wrong. Okay, so this story is about an athlete whose name is Stephen Curry. Uh, he's a Biden supporter, um, but he moves to block low-income housing near his $30 million mansion, right? Mm-hmm. So the story goes that NBA, super, uh, NBA superstar Stephen Curry, who publicly endorsed Joe Biden um, for president in 2020, is opposing a low-income housing development near his $30 million mansion, according to a local news report. We hesitate to add to the not in our backyard rhetoric, but we wanted to send a note before today's meeting safety and privacy for us and our kids continue to be our top priority. And one of the biggest reasons we chose, uh, Atherton as home, Stefan, his wife, Aisha Curry told, I wrote a letter to the officials in Atherton. It was a te- It was an attempt by Curry. Um, who's the fifth highest paid athlete in the world last year to prevent undesirables from crowding the area around his home. What's an undesirable? Uh, I don't know. It sounds like some low-income housing, homeless people that are being housed. Uh, If you're you're in low-income housing, you're living in an apartment. If you're homeless, you're homeless. It's two different things. What is he afraid of? Low-income housing? The trouble they might uh, bring with them to the neighborhood? I think think so. Listen, he's a very high-profile athlete, and his kids are, you know, there's paparazzi, and and he's maybe just nervous about crime. I, I don't know. He's a $30 million house. So the Curry family petitioned the local government to build fencing and shrubbery around their home to protect the family from watchful eyes if they couldn't block the new families from joining the neighborhood entirely. Um, okay, it's called, you know what it's called, Nachi? It's called rule, rules for thee, but not for me. That's like a Nancy Pelosi type of you know, rule, you want, no? You want, uh, you want people, uh, whether they're in uh, Minnesota or Texas or Florida, you want them to be uh, open and accept uh, people that uh, are homeless and let them send up ten, let them set up ten cities on the street, but just not in my neighborhood, not in my not in my backyard. By someone yeah. else, you could be very liberal and very uh, proactive in terms of uh, of settling them someplace else. Yeah, I don't know. Um, right or wrong? What, what do you What do you think? Should he be? No, listen. I understand why he's in a thirty million dollar mansion. No, I've not. That's not the question. The you question know, is: Is should he be coming out publicly and and uh, trying to block these no, people from moving he, near him? You know, I think I think public personalities, they, if they owe anything to the public, they owe to the public uh, to be consistent in their positions, not to be right. If he supported to, Biden and he supported yeah, his don't, policies, don't, and don't, then don't teach a new generation of people how to be a hypocrite, because it's not a healthy thing to be a hypocrite. You know, be be consistent. Uh, be sensitive to if other people don't want homeless people uh, in their neighborhood. So um, support the effort to to clean it up and get these people. Right. Don't get rid. I'm not, I'm not saying to get rid of the people. I'm not saying wash them away with a high powered uh, water hose. Yeah. I'm saying help them find housing. Uh, help them find uh, government supported housing. But uh, don't push them away to someone else's neighborhood. It's like the gardeners in the fall. They blow the leaves. You ever see these leaf blowers? On the street, they don't, they don't, uh, they don't, they don't sweep up the the the, um, the leaves. They just blow it to the next guy's property, you know. So and the next the next guy gardener come also with a powerful leaf blower, and he blows the leaves to the next guy's property. And the leaves never go anywhere. Right. They just get blown from one part of the block to the other part of the block. That's exactly like this. I'm sure Curry's in favor of low income housing, uh, but he's in favor of of it. Uh, 
being built someplace else, not near him. Yeah. That's, that's what I think. Today is Yud Shvat. It's uh, the 10th of Shvat. It's an auspicious day. Make sure to make a l'chaim. Uh, it's a day that the Rebbe assumed leadership in Chabad and Lubavitch. And uh, wishing all an amazing Yud Shvat. And we'll, we'll see you by tomorrow's episode of Daily Thread. Um, tomorrow we'll talk about Tuba Shvat, which is coming up next week. <laughs> tomorrow so will be ready. the last I think episode. We, maybe we should have... Uh, for Tuba Shvat, which is good. Should we do a dry here? fruit tasting? Maybe we should have some stuff here. Uh, I, don't, I don't eat that stuff. Well, so you don't eat fruit? It's like dried fruit, no? Well, you get stuff uh, that you don't that you haven't had, I guess, before. You, you know, you're celebrating the growth of the the rebirth of the trees. Okay, maybe. So we'll bring some stuff in here. You can taste it. And after we finish recording, you can spit it out. <laughs> okay. Uh, sounds sounds uh, I once saw advertising. on the news, uh, I saw a guy who was, uh, he, he was a t- uh, taster for Entenmann's Donuts. You would think the guy was huge, right? Yeah. But he said on the news story that uh, he he bites into the donut, he chews it, and then he spits it out. He never swallows the stuff. He never swallows the donut. That, that is self-control. So he says he stays skinny. That is self-control. And this is The Daily Thread. Make sure to send us an email, thedailythread at meaningfulminute.org. And we hope you go ahead and subscribe to our WhatsApp status. We'll see you all tomorrow.